my parents' generation, some of them didn't think this was of God. They thought it was maybe a cult. So all, all of a sudden, right away, you're asking the question, how do you know what's from God and what's not from God? Sometimes as Christians, we can place so much importance on discerning the will of God that it can almost feel like the fourth member of the Trinity, you know, the quadra or something like that. What if it wasn't so mysterious, so difficult, so evasive, but an easy, gentle process to quote the really helpful title of one of Eugene Peterson's books, a sort of long obedience in the same direction. As we finish this month working with the spiritual practice of guidance, I thought it'd be helpful to talk to someone who did their doctoral dissertation on discernment. Author and affiliate professor of Christian spirituality at Fuller, Evan Howard. My name is Nathan Foster, and welcome to the Renovare Podcast. It's a topic that you've spent much of your life working on. Is that accurate? It is, actually. Um, in, one, in one way, when I first became a Christian, I became a Christian out of the Jesus People movement. Nice. And so here we are, a bunch of crazy hippie types. I was younger, but um, the movement itself was kind of hippie types that were sold out to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And my parents' generation, some of them didn't think this was of God. They thought it was maybe a cult. Um, and indeed, where I lived in Spokane, Washington, there was a scandal and, and an intentional community fell apart. Mm-hmm. So all, all of a sudden, right away, you're asking the question, how do you know what's from God and what's not from God? Uh, is this trend from God or not? And along, right at the same time, there was the beginnings of, of, at least in Spokane, where I lived, the beginnings of the charismatic movement. Mm-hmm. And people had these crazy experiences. And along with those experiences came the question, is this from God or is it not from God? How do you tell? So I think early on, really, discernment was something that informed my way of under, looking at Christian faith. Uh, later on, when I went to seminary, um, there was the whole questions of liberals and conservatives, Uh, you know, who's from God or not, you know? Um, And it it meant a lot. It meant what institutions you were going to attend, what books you would allow yourself to read. Interesting enough. uh, It was, it was that sort of thing. Uh, So, yeah, I think, I think even from very early stage on, um, Mm -hmm. that was a a part of my uh, world. Yeah. I went through my social justice conversion mm-hmm. around 78. And then, uh, you know, Sherry and I made some serious commitments and people wondered, is that from God or is that just uh, you trying to be some hippie radical or something, you, you know? <laughs> and in the answer, years, years <laughs> of later. Course, <laughs> of course it was from God. <laughs> It wasn't all of God, but it was a piece of God. Yes. Yeah. Well, and there, there's a, there's a point right there, isn't there? That 
that sometimes mm. there's aspects that are and some things not? Is, is that part of discernment? Yes. Yeah, yeah, I think. And that's the that's the wonderful thing about the freedom of God's ministry with us, I think. You know, because actually, I mean, um, you know, I did my doctoral dissertation on discernment. And one of the things that was behind me choosing that of all topics to do a doctoral dissertation on was that my dissertation supervisor had said, choose a topic that is interesting to you, number one, and number two, will carry with you the rest of your life because your dissertation just stays with you. It always does. For better and, or for worse. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I realized that um, and not long before that, I had done two things. I had to, At one point in time, I started a painting business for the training of refugees. Um, and, uh, and it was an effort to help people who had needs. And um, we, were, we, we did a great job of painting and a terrible job of business. Um, and ultimately, two years later, the business fell apart. Well, two or three years later, the business fell apart. And I had to, um, I had to lay off all of these refugees that I had working for me. It was very hard to do. And you kind of get, well, God, didn't you lead me into this? Wasn't this your will? How come this whole thing fell apart? And then right uh, along the same period of time, I had helped to plant a seeker-sensitive church. And um, uh, it's, a, it's a longer story, I don't need it, but the, in the end, uh, the church did fall apart as well. Uh, ended up six people in a living room. Um, a very, very painful experience. But it with the the point is that that was the same kind of thing uh, where I thought God led me. I thought God, you know, I thought I had well discerned this, and look what happened. Mm -hmm. um, and so when uh, my supervisor Beth Liebert asked the question, you know, well, what what? It interests you and what will carry you through? And I thought, everybody asks the question, how do I know God's will? Everybody, you know, asks the question, how do I find out what's from God and what's not from God? And it's carried with me, you know, almost all of my life. Mm -hmm. So this is where I'm going to spend a good deal of my academic, you know, research. Good topic. When you think back to those two situations the painting company refugees and then the the church as you look back now that they didn't go the way you thought they would or wanted it to um what's the discernment there did you hear correctly did you miss something what do you think no at that yeah years later i don't know that i well processed all of that i think i think they hung around and a few more situations like that gathered energy, created a bit of bitterness inside of me until, um, until just here in, Mont in Colorado, I went on once and just felt this deep grumpiness uh, <laughs> and, and realized that underneath this deep grumpiness was a disappointment in God. I think I was actually disappointed in him mm -hmm. that, you know, hey, 
I thought you were going to tell me what to do. I thought I was going to follow you. And here's these things, you know, that, that, you know, I tried to start this and I tried to do this and I moved to the inner city and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it all, you know, these, you know, all these lists of things, they didn't go well. Um, in fact, they failed, you know, is what I would have considered. <laughs> so what's up, God, you know? And I felt like in that retreat, God said to me, I never promised success. Yeah. In the earthly way, you know, I promised I would be with you. I promised I would guide you, you know, and, but I didn't promise earthly success. Um, and, and there was this really deep sense of his loving reminder of that. I, I don't know how I can say that. Um, and that. Good discernment does not guarantee success. Good discernment guarantees following God. You may be martyred in the process. You know, uh, I think of someone like um, Brother Charles de Foucault, who went to um, reach um, people in the Berber tribe and um, ultimately, after a, a bit of time, was murdered and accomplished, you know, theoretically nothing. Um, but then after his death, um, his rule became found and he was the uh, ultimately the founder of the brothers and little brothers and sisters of Christ, a whole you know big movement. But uh, he would have looked at his life and thought it is a complete failure. It does come back a a little to what we're defining as success and failure, our expectations. And, and I had a similar experience. If I could share with you, it, yeah, yeah, it, it fits well. Where I I felt very clearly, I discerned very clearly that there was situation that I was to um, participate in. Um, and and I was so excited. And it was one of these times where it was really, really clear to me that, that this is what God had for me to do. Uh, well, it didn't go well. <laughs> and and I found myself a, a grumpy. <laughs> uh, I, I remember clearly I'm on a walk and I'm kind of going, wait a minute. Did I, did I hear? Like, I thought this was, right, what I should be doing. And then it came in this smile, gentle kind of, so because you're not happy, <laughs> because it didn't turn out the way you wanted, how do we take those experiences and not go, well, God must be cruel then. You know, I was embarrassed. You know, this, you know, failed or this didn't go the way I thought. How, how do we hold that tension in a context of love? I return to the basics a lot, uh, one of which is God wants to be known. And it may not be a known that is um, certain, but it's a known that is insofar as I am a human being and I do what I know to do, God opens to me and then um, if I follow it, God is happy. Um, um, it, it's, a, it, it's an interpersonal relationship. I'm, I, I don't have perfect knowledge of my wife, but she wants me to know her insofar as I can, it, if you know what I mean. Sure. So when I am in a discernment situation and these kinds of things are there, the important thing is. God's knowledge that I knew him in this mm -hmm. 
And knowing God is knowing someone who knows my needs much better than I do. Or my, uh, I mean, not even needs, my sense of what fulfillment or success or all of that stuff is all about. Or danger points, right? Things that would be yeah, destructive. Yeah, yeah. So it really comes back to me, or I, I mean, at least at that in that time, it came back to me trusting. Mm-hmm. Could I trust? Um, could I? And, and especially like when I was on that walk or in the, in my retreat, the past, these different points in the past, didn't look like they were very successful. Could I trust God in the future? Because I, I, I might be making big investments. Um, you know, what happens if these go south, so to speak? Well, guess what, Evan? I don't need to know what south is. <laughs> What's important is that I know God and follow and trust that God's will, whatever that is, is really the best for me. Whether I perceive it that way or not. It's helpful because if we if we think of oh disciples New Testament, you know, getting martyred, you could see that as a failure in a in a way. <laughs> but I don't think I would want to say that they didn't discern what they were to do with their lives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Give it, yeah. from a kind of practical standpoint. There's always issues that come up in our life where. Having some clarity on if this is from God, not how to proceed, uh, is important. Are there are there some kind of simple ways that people can practice this discipline? Yeah, actually, um, I think it's the most fundamental discipline. <laughs> okay, and um, and I I teach it to people all of the time. It's the first exercise I do when I teach discernment. And it's not, it's not original to me. It actually came from the founders of the Chapel of the Air. And it's called the God Hunt. And the God Hunt is an exercise of just simply um, looking over your day and at the end of the day asking, where did I notice God? Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be about certainty. It doesn't ha- you don't have to fuss about it. Well, did I really see God or did I not see God or, you know, blah, blah. Just the important thing, go back and if something pops into your head and says, oh, I think that was God there. Mm. Notice it. And you do that in four or five days in a row. And it gets to be, it's a little fun after five days. You do it after five months, and it will change your understanding of discernment. You do it after five years, and you become a different person. Mm. Five minutes a day, simple practice, life-changing. I really think the God Hunt is absolutely the most fundamental exercise we can learn with regard to discernment. What do you notice after five months, five years, what starts to emerge for you? There is a phrase in, I think it's John, where he talks about my sheep will know my voice. Um, Sometimes, I think it was where I began to learn the difference between the voice of the accuser 
um, which is the enemy, and the voice of the Holy Spirit convicting me. You know, that would be one example of something that took a few months to learn. But over time, you realize, oh, that thought in my head, that was the accuser. This was this one. I noticed that was God. Mm-hmm. It had a different tone to it in my head. It was more, you know, like you mentioned, smiling, gentle. You know, there's that conviction that comes that's um, from God. Um, so I think you catch the nuances of God's voice. And I don't need to be, if I'm doing this practice, I don't need to be exercised over having absolute clarity that the bird singing today was was from God. I, is that accurate? You just kind of making a list of... Yeah, I think what happens is that it... Um, those kinds of things work their way out over time. Okay. You begin to, over time, realize, oh, you know, that wasn't necessarily God. It was just nice or this or that. You know, the difference between I felt good today and that was God's spirit. You know, some of that um, will work its way out over time. You'll, You'll begin to recognize the quality of an experience, the way it comes to you, um, the nuances, you know, those kind of things over time uh, um, reveal themselves to you. Mm-hmm. I, I like this idea of, I mean, starting small, very simple, the little five-minute examine, and then putting some years on it. C- could, could you give me an example of what like your God hunt today might look like? Hmm. <laughs> That's kind of personal, I, so you could say no. I'm just just curious. No, I actually do that. I I go to bed at night, and before while Sherry probably is brushing her teeth or something, and I lay down on my back and I review the day as if the film is um, is being played back, and I watch and. Um, some things in the day will be uh, yellow highlighted in my head um, or in my heart. And I'll just notice, oh, yeah, that was God there. Oh, I could tell. Um, and sometimes it's something aesthetic. You know, like you mentioned the birds singing. Um, sometimes it's an interpersonal reaction, interaction. Sometimes it's. Um, Sometimes it's when I followed and I could tell God was uh, pleased um, or um, conviction or leading. Um, So I just lay in bed and review the day and notice. I don't, I, again, I don't try and fuss with it. I'm I'm too tired to fuss with it. (laughs) You don't write (laughs) these, you don't write them down. Do you, do you, pray through i mean what what do you just notice it and let it be there and go to bed is that that simple as a matter of fact yes i don't write it down i don't uh de- i mean it may be that something is strikes me with enough energy that i'll need to address it the next day but i usually don't have enough energy to address it that night sure <laughs> so i just let it be I just lay and notice and go to sleep, noticing God. I like that practice. And and then, uh, I mean, that verse is so helpful, isn't it? My, my sheep, they know my name. 
and um, did an interview with someone last week referencing that that verse um, and how that apparently for sheep um, it isn't so much the words as it is the person speaking that they recognize. Mm-hmm. That, you know, I could say the same words as the shepherd and they wouldn't respond to me, but they would to the shepherd because they know the shepherd's voice. Other ways that the practice of discernment plays out in life for you? Hmm. I think another thing um, that I want to mention with regard to that is um, it plays a lot in career choices. Um, my, I do not have, I've never had uh, an easy job situation or a very, um, what's the word I want to use? Easy to make sense of, you know, like a nine to five for 30 years, you know, kind of thing. I changed a lot. And those changes have always followed processes of discernment. And the discernments have been different each time. So um, when you say, how has discernment played out for me? Sometimes I have been blasted. Not very often. But... um, uh, For me, I mean, I don't necessarily think this is going to happen for everybody, but for me, getting married was a blast. Okay. Um, Sherry and I were sitting at a table together um, in college, um, eating and talking about how much we would both like to travel. um, And we were just friends at the time, uh, travel and and live in a school bus or something like that. And somewhere (laughs) in the middle of that conversation, I looked at her and said, Sherry, we are talking about, and I could not pronounce the word marriage because all of a sudden there was just, uh, the Holy Spirit fell. And I knew that I knew that we were going to get married and this was it. And you weren't dating? No, we were not dating. (laughs) No. Did you say, did you get the word out and say it? I ultimately got the word out and then said, Sherry, if we get married, I'm going to have to kiss you. And then you kissed her right there. Oh, no, no. That was much later. (laughs) (laughs) That would have made a good story. You could have done that and then eloped. School bus and all. that's true. (laughs) So sometimes it's been a blast, right? Very clear. Yes, sometimes, uh, and that has happened, you know, only once or twice in my life that I've really been blasted. Um, a lot of the time, then I am led. And that is not when I'm certain of something, but when there's sufficient leading in the Holy Spirit inside of me, in relationships with other people, in my reading of the scripture, in the trajectory of my life, you know, all of these different pieces, they give me sufficient reason to take the next step forward. You know, I've just recently quit everything but part-time work with Fuller. Mm-hmm. You know, well, you know, why did I do that? Well, I you know, there was these things opening up and I was looking at these groups, um, how I could help them. And, you know, I just get this inclination. And the trick is when I'm at my best, 
I get this inclination to, to quit those jobs. Um, you know, when I'm at my spiritual best, to what am I inclined? Well, you know, actually, I think I'm inclined to really devote myself to helping these groups of people um, who are trying to live together and serve the poor. Um, well, but I want to check that out with my peers and I want to check that out with my wife. And, and so there's scripture and what does it have to say about these? So I, I measure these different things together and no, I'm not blasted, but at least I have sufficient wisdom and guidance to take another step forward and see if that energy is still there to see if the spirit still pushes me. Do do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. It doesn't necessarily mean that I'm fulfilled, like our conversation earlier. It may be a total failure, but um, you don't concern yourself I, with that so much. I, I'm I'm trying to do it less. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now there are some times when I am neither blasted nor am I led. And it may be that not only am I not blasted or led, but I have to make a decision. There's a timeline. Um, and, you know, this an example for that was when we moved here to Colorado, we had um, two young girls, um, what they were, what, 12 and 10 years old. And sooner or later, we need to settle into a church so that they can have a place to uh, be in community with other Christian kids. Uh, that was important to us. Well, we, we church shopped for a year and we didn't feel blasted and we did not feel led. Uh, it was, in fact, frankly, there were a lot of good churches. It wasn't like there was nothing. It was like there was a lot of things, but we didn't feel any guidance. Mm-hmm. So, uh, what do we do? And we talk to friends and well, yeah, there are lots of different options. Ultimately we decided, um, and this follows Ignatius of Loyola when he talks about these things in his book, the spiritual exercises, he talks about a third time of making an election in which you just give yourself to God and then you go forward with pros and cons only with the idea of these pros and cons are based on, what could give God the greatest glory with our, our life? So we sat as a family and we started going back to some of these churches one by one and had family meetings where we discussed the pros and cons um, <laughs> of each um, to try and find out how, um, how we as a family could make a decision that would give God the greatest glory. And indeed, we ended up, you know, again, never, never had any special leading but just chose based on those, uh, those kinds of things. And I think God trusted us at that time to make that decision. Sometimes I see people get stuck. They get stuck in a God has to tell me exactly what to do approach to discernment. And they're needing God to hold their hand, to give them instructions. And sometimes God doesn't really need to give us instructions. Maybe we've grown up enough and he wants us like a father of an older child to learn his heart, to to know his heart, but to make the decisions ourselves, And that actually gives God um, more happiness than if he just tells us what to do all the time. As as a father, he likes that. The spaces where 
the discernment leads to something to this effect. Uh, Evan, you can choose. <laughs> you decide. I had an interesting experience when, um, when a few years ago I moved and I needed to go somewhere with warmer climate for my wife's health. And we're looking at all this and I'm praying through this and going through some processes and I, I get nothing. I mean, nothing's clear. And in one sense, well, okay, Nate, you know, make your decision kind of thing. But it led me to this process of going, no, I really want to hear from you. <laughs> could, could you please have an opinion? Because I really want to hear it. And it put me in this position of instead of wanting my way, I'm really seeking, you know, please, I'd love an opinion. And, and that was a neat, it was an interesting process to go through. And that's one of the things I think that gets me um, interested in discernment is that some people, like, why, uh, why is it important to me? Well, I see people get stuck. Um, you know, not like you were stuck, but other people, um, they'll get stuck in the, I need to hear the exact words, or mm -hmm. I need to have, uh, in charismatic circles, sometimes it has to come in a big prophecy or a big experience or something like that. Well, um, it can. But discernment can be much, much subtler. Yeah. And I found myself being the person to help people notice God in lots of different ways and to honor that. I have a question for you as we reach the end. Could you share with people where you live, what your life is like, and how you and Sherry discern to live this way. Mm. Okay, interesting. That's, that's I mean, a lot, <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's very interesting. When we, Sherry and I were in college, we were confronted with two things. Number one, we were confronted with a globe that I think we woke up to, a globe that was suffering from war, from inequality, from injustice. And we also felt like we had some influence in that, or we had some, we were connected in some way, you know, that what we shop for, the way we, um, the way we live our lifestyle, um, you know, those things impacted. So we embarked on a large Bible study about these issues. That would have been 1977, 78. The school bus years. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and um, at the end of that study, which was 900 verses, literally, two things happened. One is after we were done with the study, we a book came out in print called Rich Christians in an Age of Hunger. Could not have been better timed. Cider. Is it Ron Cider? Ron Cider. Yeah. Yeah. And um, Sherry and I got married. And we made a decision when we get married, when we got married, that we wanted to live simply, whatever that meant. We didn't really know. We wanted to have a little bit of identification with the global poor, though in America, you know, et cetera. We wanted to make ourselves free 
to devote time to the things of God so that we weren't consumed by careers and, and making a certain standard of living. I think the discernment was this combination of just absolute conviction of the scriptures, God's heart for the poor. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we didn't answer any political party we should join. What we knew that was, was that God had a heart for the poor and we needed to join in with that. So that was the scriptural side of it. But the personal side was that we needed to make a change in the way we lived. So, um, and then since we were getting married, it's like, oh, this is a good time to do this. So the way we did it was just to choose to live at the federal poverty level, whatever that was at the time. And, um, and that meant, you know, buying houses in low income neighborhoods or buying a trailer or adding onto it. It meant using public transportation or riding a bike or, you know, these sorts of things when we were in an urban environment or um, getting an old truck uh, now that we're in a rural environment. When we moved here in Montrose, it took on a whole, in a, in a rural environment, it took on a whole new feel. Because all of a sudden, some dreams that we had thought about, oh, you know, we could actually, you know, build a house with the material on our property. And so it was like, oh, so we we had bought this trailer literally for $5,000. And and we're living in that. Um, But then we decided, hey, let's let's quarry rock. Let's make something uh, from the dirt of the ground. And so that's what we've been doing. We've played with that for, I don't know, many years. So since the 70s, have, have, or since your, your entire marriage, have you guys lived at the national poverty level? I mean, intentionally? Um, yes, um, with two years of exception. Um, there were two years where we made more money than the federal poverty level. But those two years, we spent half of the money of that year on electricians and um, and um, insulators and plumbers sure. uh, who um, worked on our house. <laughs> so, and that was actually a piece. I mean, that was that was just a few years, a couple of years back. So, in quitting all these different jobs, um, we're back to we're back to the poverty level again. So, does that mean if if one year you you make more, you just give it away to keep to stay at that level? Is is that how you maintain? Uh, no. No, actually, we've just never made more. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, we just we just never have. Um, and and that was the idea. I mean, we thought. I mean, like I say, that it wasn't meant to be some kind of a legalistic rule that we, you know, tried to nail ourselves down with. And there were a number of years where we didn't even know what the federal poverty level was. We just lived, you know. Mm-hmm. But going back and look at it, it was like, oh yeah, we were below then. Um, <laughs> but the past couple years. Um, you know, I had gotten um, more teaching jobs and they were all paying jobs. And we said, no, this is actually a really good season because this is also the season where we're going to have to, um, I can't do the electrical work on the house myself. And so um, we just did it that way. So we've not, it's not been a a real thing where we paid a lot of attention to it. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But then Every once in a while, we've gone, oh, yeah, it looks like we did, you know. Um, <laughs> it's enabled you to live a different lifestyle. I mean, you know, challenges, 
right, around your home and such, but gifts mm-hmm. in terms of your time and the projects you get to work on? Oh, oh my goodness. I can't tell you what it was like in Berkeley to be working, to, to live in Berkeley, to work three days a week, and my wife is homeschooling. So I'm the sole provider of income for the house. And I was able to devote time to all kinds of other things and to do a doctoral work um, and only have to do um, labor three days a week. But that came from pre, you know, to having many years before I left for that doctoral work where we had kind of, I don't know, learned the art of simple living, if there is such a thing, you know. Um, so, um, yeah, yeah, it was really helpful. And the whole idea of simplicity has had so... Yeah, I mean, that's another thing entirely. Uh, discerning that simplicity was, it was very economic in the early years. And then when I got to seminary, I realized, even though physically I had been, cl- I'd been simple, my academic ladder climbing mentality was not simple at all. Okay. I was actually, uh, you know, I was actually trying to climb to the top. It was not humble if you know what I mean. And so simplicity and humbleness work together. And then moving to Montrose, simplicity put me in touch with a small local community and um, took on a little bit more of a Wendell Berry flavor to it, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Before we go, can do you still have the cave office? I do. Can I you, mean, like my, my cell. <laughs> could you tell people about your, your office, your cell? Yeah, yeah. I actually, it, it's not my office. Oh, um, okay. I'm in my office now. Got it. Um, and the reason is, is because I wanted to help set aside a special place that was really for being with God. One day, I was walking around on the property and found some rocks piled in a certain way, and and thought, oh, that kind of looks a little bit like a fort. If I dig a little bit here and I pile some rocks here and I put something on top, maybe I could have a fort. And I, I always liked, you know, always liked playing with forts when I was younger. So I began to do that. And over a period of, I don't know, four or five years or something like that, I created a room that's um, built in, it's, it's, it's a cave, sort of. It's, you, the correct term is actually bermed. So it's kind of half dug in and half built out. Um, and so it's about a 12 by eight room that I um, go to um, when I want to be with God. And it's just a, a very special place that I go early in the morning and read by candlelight and, um, and do my prayer work. And learn to sit quietly. Yeah, I need it. (laughs) In the cell. Evan, so helpful. Thank you for your time today. I appreciate it. Thank you. Well, there you have it. Evan's the director of a center for the study of Christian spirituality. It's called Spirituality Shop. And you can find out more information at their website, spiritualityshop.com that's shop s-h-o-p-p-e Evans also published a number of books and most recently a book titled A Guide to Christian Spiritual Formation 
how scripture, spirit, community, and mission shape our souls. As always, thanks for listening and have a great week.